0: We interviewed some companies and someone came to me with, I thought, a great deal. And the deal was X dollars and I'll let you pay it over 10 or 12 months. But what I came to learn is they didn't know how to build a Chrome browser. And to this day, unfortunately, they didn't even know how to connect the SDK that we're connecting to, to the buyer of the data. They're not getting the data. And that's the biggest mistake I could think of My name is Jeff Bermant. I am the CEO of Virtual World Computing, and our product is Cocoon My Data Rewards.
1: This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Jeff Bermant built a product to enable everyday users to get paid for their data. All this and more on Code Story. Jeff Bermant is originally from the East Coast, specifically a suburb of New York City called Rye. He left the Big Apple to head to USC in California to be a highly ranked tennis player. After school, he played the pro circuit for a bit, but eventually moved on. And nowadays, he's into cycling and has gotten to ride with Lance Armstrong, who told him to make sure to keep his day job. He worked for Coldwell Banker in the real estate business under Bob Selick. After that, he started his own real estate business, which he did for 30 years. But after a while, he realized that what he really enjoyed was creating, and a lot of that sort of thing gets lost in the real estate business. He got into tech because, believe it or not, he was annoyed at the internet and its lack of privacy. After a casual conversation with his son, he realized that the average user's not getting paid for their data. He found this to be wrong, and set out to fix the problem to ensure users got paid for their data, not Google, Facebook, or anyone else. This is the creation story of Cocoon, My Data Rewards.
0: Along my little path, We were wondering whether we should actually close down Cocoon or not since we couldn't figure out how to make any money off of it. People don't want to pay for browsers. So it was a real struggle there. And I was sitting down one day with my son and I was thinking about users and realizing that my son sort of said to me, He said, You know, you know how to build a browser. Uh, You've been building them for the last six or seven years. Have you ever thought about people's data? And I was kind of like, "What, What are you talking about? And he said, Well, you know, you know the thing about people not getting paid for their data. That could be a great avenue for you because you understand the browsing world. And the lights went on, and I was like, wait, yeah, I do know a lot about browsing and how to build a browser. And then I realized, yeah, the average user is not getting paid for their data. And so my data rewards is all about the user getting paid for their data versus it all going to Google or Facebook or some other advertiser, and you're not getting a penny for it. And I thought, you know, right, wrong, that seems really wrong to me. Could I build a company around the idea that the user gets paid for their data versus just some major company that either you know their name or you never even heard of?
1: That makes sense. So tell me about that first product then, that MVP. How long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to build it?
0: So it took us four to five months to build a desktop. That was the first thing we built instead of building the mobile. The reason we did that because we didn't know that much about mobile things, uh, but we knew a lot about desktop even though we had a couple mobile devices for Cocoon, the browser. So I launched it on desktop. One of the things that you have to build is you have to build your own browser, which we knew how to do. And instead, before we had used Firefox and what we ran into with Firefox is there's not a lot of developers that know how to build that so we switched over to chrome and we figured well chrome's a lot easier most there's 1.5 billion people know how to use chrome why not use chrome as the base once again difficult to build it's an extension but it's a very fancy extension because google won't let you just tag on an extension and then you really what you're doing is you're taking profits away from them so we had to build our own alpha chromium open source our own browser And then we had to find a partner that would actually monetize the data. And when you're really small like us, everybody said no except for one company that said, we like the idea and we want to partner with you. And so they started monetizing our data for us. You know, it's really a fancy online desktop, it's really a fancy browser that we take the data, we don't give it to Google, we take that data, but we get permission from you, we would never sell anything. We don't sell certain things, like we don't sell medical information, financial information, guns, hate, adult sites, we don't sell any of that. We just sell the wholesome stuff, we give you the profit of seventy percent on desktop. It's eighty percent, but mobile will be seventy percent, and then we take a thirty percent cut. But we make sure you get paid first.
1: So you started out with the desktop and then moved into uh, a you know Chrome version. Is that right? Am I am I getting that right?
0: We built desktop, and in the desktop was a Chromium base browser because 1.5 billion people knew how to use Chrome. We figured, well, we're not there. When we went to mobile, same thing. You have to build the Chrome browser inside or Chromium inside of your app. One of the drawbacks of the desktop was there's two types of buyers for data. There's the desktop buyer, which is basically all local. And when I say local, it's the United States. The desktop didn't work. It was very frustrating because people would come from all over the world and they'd sign up for desktop. And we had written in big letters for USA only, but people either don't read that or didn't understand the English. And they signed up and we were very frustrated because we couldn't pay them because it wasn't US data. But when we got to build the mobile, mobile is actually worldwide and the data can be from anywhere and that can be monetized in some fashion. So that became the opportunity for everyone to get involved. I don't. It doesn't matter where you are on earth, you can be anywhere and we can monetize that data.
1: Let's, let's dig into that first version a little bit, the, the desktop version. Um, you know, when you're building a first version or an MVP, you have to make some decisions and trade offs about, you know, we cut a feature, or we do things a certain way that gets things done fast. What sort of decisions did you have to make at that point And how did you cope with those decisions?
0: We tried not to cut out much or maybe some graphs and things that we realized this is too complicated. We also had trouble figuring out how to show people what they're getting monetized because it's literally advertisers buying data and you could never really predict. And of course, users wanna figure out, well, what are we gonna get paid? And that became a real challenge because we had to pick and choose what we could show you that would make sense to you without it being a total guess. Some things that we built there, we found out it just didn't work. The customer could not understand how complicated it was to figure out what you individually were gonna get paid. And this is a whole new system where it is you individually getting paid out in the open where it's transparent. I mean, we're trying to be as transparent as we can. We try not to hold anything back to our customers. So those are some of the give and take there. Everything else really was not give and take. We had the we had this issue about the United States versus being overseas. Lots of learning experiences there that led us to I think a much better product with the mobile.
1: So let's talk about some of those decisions that you made that sort of built your roadmap so you built desktop first and then you built you know the chromium browser and then went to mobile walk me through how you decided to progress the product that way um, from desktop to web to mobile
0: So as I did my research and as I spent more time with the company, the first company that's monetizing our data and the way our path is this is just a start I love this just to start because, there are, I think, 7,500 companies that will want, want to buy your data. And our pathway to everything is, we just take a percentage, you get the majority. There is no other pathway that, that we like. But so what I realized in the desktop was what would be really wonderful in the mobile was anybody could sign up for this. Then we had to decide, are we building Android or are we building iOS? And we picked Android because most of our users were, a majority of our users were Android users, and they seemed to fit most of the ones that wanted to get cash. The struggle became, with all the different variations of Android, most of them work differently in each different phone, so now you have to deal with, unlike iOS, some people still have the one of the lowest ones, which is Android 4. So that was a valuable lesson that we didn't know about, and. We're now dealing with it and we'll have it all pretty much solved. There'll be a point where an Android user can't use it because they're, they just don't have any memory or enough memory in their operating system to run it. Probably 70, 80 to 90% of all Android phones will work just perfectly. So we're in beta with that now, working through the bugs. and We've added to it, by the way, we added to a geolocation. So now not only you get paid on your web browsing, but you could get paid on moving around. And that to me was just a great winner. If you're you know you're driving around or you're walking to stores, why not get paid for that as well? I mean, all these people kind of know who you are in the first place. So why aren't, aren't you getting a piece of the action? I mean, that's kind of my result. If you could be really private, I might tell you, you know, that's your world, great. But most people don't even realize they're not that private. So well, why not get paid for it? And we'll tell you, you can be totally private, you can turn us off, but why would you use us if you're not going to make money with us?
1: Let's flip over to team then. So how did you build your team? How did you go about looking for people and decide that these were the winning horses to join your team?
0: So in the beginning, I didn't know anything, honestly, about the tech side. I mean, I was just inquisitive. So I partnered up with a guy named Brian Fox, and Brian is a world-renowned uh, software Developer, He built the first Wells Fargo ATM. He was one of the first writers of Bash Shell. But what I learned about Brian was that he had lots of other things he wanted to do. And what I really need was a CTO or a senior engineer that really was dedicated to this. And I found a gentleman who was on the team at the beginning. And I didn't know if he had the chops for this. But he, he does have the chops for maybe for senior engineering. Because a CTO needs to have some engineering skills, but really needs to know the roadmap of how to get something built in a fashion that jives with the CEO's thought. The most important thing I've found in the team as I've been rolling the team out is you really need dedicated people who just wanna see this product come to fruition. They don't care as much about the money. Maybe they have another job they're working on. And in a startup, that's just the way it has to be. But if you have people who are first focused on the amount of money they're making and not the product, they're just the wrong team members because when you say to them, I've run out of money, those guys who are just looking for the paycheck just don't understand. And that's how startups get built. You have to have a dedicated team that really wants to see this product be successful. And you are promising them shares so that they had a motivation where maybe they're making less money, but in the end, if it's successful, they make a pile of money, and you know.
1: Right, uh, that makes that makes sense. Um, you got to have someone on the team that latches on to the vision, not to the paycheck.
0: Exactly, and that's not so easy to do because, look, you totally understand people have got to make a living, and so you have to find people that I found a, like a person today. She's already had a, a win under her belt. She made enough money, and she's off to this great idea with me. She just loves the idea. I just ran into her on a podcast, no less, and I said, I have a feeling this person is the kind of dedicated person I want, because she's not that interested in the paycheck up front. She's more interested in the win, the excitement. What's exciting about this, to me, is this is a product that people get paid for, and and they actually make some money off of it. And I asked her, is the money secondary of what you're going to make through Cocoon? Is that secondary, or is it primary? And if it's primary, I don't think you meet you meet the team. If it's secondary, because you want this to be a successful product for your customers, that's the person I look for.
1: So let's let's flip over to scalability a little bit. Um, are you building this to scale efficiently, or is this something you're kind of fighting as you grow?
0: It's efficient on day one. We've had an interesting learning curve with the original cocoon. That could be a scaling issue and and kind of pricey. Uh, The scaling issue with both an app, which includes geolocation and browsing, it's a small SDK that goes in, not very expensive to run. The data collection is not expensive. That's, and the cost of acquisition is extremely low, and even was a lot higher, providing people get paid enough money. If it all syncs together, the scalability is not an issue. And I expect we eventually could take on 100, 200, 300 million people if this idea catches on without any scalability issues.
1: I imagine there's a lot of storage architecture that goes in behind storing a lot of this data. Is that correct?
0: Yes, There's, and there will be more because what we'll want to do for our customer, maybe the, the customer loves automotive. Well, eventually you get a big enough crowd we could come up to automotive and say, we got 150,000 people that love automotive. Will you pay them for their data? And they'll say yes. Or a, you know, it could be also, um, Amazon could be a lot of companies. My finality of the company is really to get you to be individually paid for what you look at and go to, go to buyers in the long run. No, it's, it's complicated with the storage, but it's going to be well worth it to you, the customer, because you're going to get paid more for your data so we can handle the storage, because included in our 30% is all the backend stuff, and you know, computers, software. We take all that on.
1: So as you step out on the balcony, you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of?
0: This. I mean, I built office buildings. I was very proud of when I built office buildings for people. And I would say the proudest moment of my life is today is launching something that allows people to cash in on their own data. It's a thrill to me to be able to say to Google and all the rest of these guys, you guys have been doing this for years to people. We need a little change here. And it may not be for everyone, but I love the fact that that a user can just make some money off of their own data versus somebody else making it. It's all private, it's all secret. And most people of you ask in the world, what happens to the data, they have no idea. They don't know it's being sold to someone else. They think what's happening is, oh, I got a free browser or something, I had all this free stuff. That's what I'm getting paid for, it's just free. And the truth is, that's not true. I could build a browser, it could cost me literally nothing to build, take all the profits and you'd not know that. But that's not what I thought. I thought there should be a share. I learned this in kindergarten, it's still with me. And in fact, that's one of the questions I ask people now, new question I ask, What'd you learn in kindergarten? So I know if you learn the things about sharing, the things about other people's rights, uh, the equalities, those are all things you should know in kindergarten. And I'm frankly glad they are starting to teach people in kindergarten that we're all equal. That was a left out thing and it shouldn't be. Building on that and sharing to me is the most delightful thing I could ever think of. And, And by the way, my money. I've already got charities lined up. And one of the things we're going to be building into our browser is you'll be able to give part of your money away or all of your money away. If you don't really want the $20, $30 or whatever it's, you're going to earn, you give it away to your charity and we'll match something to it.
1: Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: We interviewed some companies and someone came to me with, I thought, a great deal. And the deal was X dollars. Uh, that's the max, and I'll let you pay it over 10 or 12 months. Right? And I thought, oh, what a great deal because you know we don't have a lot of money and everybody's asking for $40,000 in three months. But what I came to learn is they didn't know how to build a Chrome browser. And to this day, unfortunately, they didn't even know how to connect the SDK that we're connecting to to the buyer of the data. And still that data is not performing, in other words, not getting to, co- to our, our buyer they're not getting the data and that's the biggest mistake I could think of at this point point. and the other mistake was that we didn't realize that if you're if you're monetizing lo- location data in the back in the background, it's worth a lot less money than it is if it's in the foreground. So if it's like a weather app that's in the foreground. it's going to tell you the weather all the time it's always on. And the reason why Android doesn't allow you to do that upfront, you have to build that in, is because they're afraid you're going to drain the battery. But with us, if you're going to drain the battery, you're going to stick it in your car, you're going to drive around, make a bunch of money, going to different places, getting paid for it. And I would say charging your phone is, you know, 10 cents versus $10, which are you going to take. You're going to take the $10 and recharge your phone.
1: What does the future look like for the product and for your team?
0: What we're looking to do is spread this word as inexpensively as possible and pay the customer the most amount of money we possibly can because we're on the same side of the ledger. The more money we make for our customers, the more money we make for ourselves. I can't think of a better situation versus companies that you pay them for their services and maybe you don't get the services you wanted with us. We're on the same side. We're going to make money together. I mean, this is the most ideal thing I've ever thought of in my entire life because it's so many win wins for both us and for our customer. We're, we turn out we're on the same side of the team. I mean, if you ask me, what's my fanciful dream? I'm hoping you know millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of people pick up on this and say, you know, I can still use the search engine of Google, and add a feature will be eventually. If we get big enough, Google's going to come over and want to buy that browsing data, and we're going to be able to pay you yet again. I mean, just think—if we—if we have a couple hundred million people, and Google comes over and wants to pay us five hundred million, like they pay to Firefox, look at my win for my customers. It's going to turn out fine.
1: Let's switch to you. Jeff, who influences the way that you work? A CEO or CTO or an architect or really any person. Name a person that you look up to and why.
0: I have to go way back in my history because I was built around perseverance and uh, integrity. So it for the integrity part, well, I have to say my father, both my parents. High integrity, always fair to other people. Even my dad was one of the roughest businessmen I ever met His language was as salty as it came, um, but he was a very fair man. The other one, believe it or not, and these are not books as much as actual interaction with people, is my tennis coaches. Once again, no cheating, never called the ball to my favor, if anything, I called it to the other guy's favor to give, you know, just to be fair, and the training. So I would go down and hit 500 forehands, 500 backhands in a day on a backboard. And I just trained and trained and trained and persevered and and were fair to people. That's what has driven me from day one. And I look in the mirror every morning and go, I'm fair to as many people on earth as I actually know.
1: Well, if you could go back to the very beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach?
0: I probably wouldn't even be in tech, (laughs) this is is one of the hardest things and I want to say this, I I hope people will, will understand where I'm coming from, there's a lot more arrogance in the tech world than I've ever seen in almost any industry and I know the real estate obviously business as well as anything. That bothers me a lot about the arrogance, and I, I actually don't deal with people who are arrogant. I don't care about how much money. you. I just turned a guy down who wanted to build me something, but he was so arrogant, I, just, I was like, no, I can't work with you. Um, so those are the things that I, if I had to start over, I had made some general pitfalls where I thought, oh, everybody's good, oh, look at his qualifications. And I never dug deep enough to find out he's the wrong guy because he's only interested in that paycheck. Or he, he would have some event, Coachella Valley, and he would disappear for two weeks because he was driving a bus and never told anybody. That happened, by the way. And he turned out to be the wrong guy on the team. But it's funny, you look back now and you you know, you know gotta laugh, which is the guy's driving a bus around for Coachella. I mean, you know, in my next 15 or 20 years, who do I want to end up being, right? I want to be an end-up guy who helped people make money who did something for the world. Uh, I I did in my real estate career, I figured out how to give away loads of land as a developer so they would never be built on. I never once asked for my name to be written on anything because that's now how I am. I am more about getting the job done and doing things for people than I am, okay, what the legacy I want to leave, but the legacy could be without my name.
1: So last question, Jeff, so you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to you. They think it's going to be a game changer. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
0: It's not a game changer until you deployed it and you can actually see that it's working. From early on, I was saying, well, mine's a game changer. And I was like, well, well, what proof do you have? I mean, part of this has to be proof in the pudding that you actually do have a game changer. Because let's say you were sitting next to me in the plane. And I didn't know anything you were doing. And you presented something that looked to me like a game changer. But I had no knowledge that there's 20 other guys that are building the same game changer. So then my question would be, once I learned that, would be, well, how are you different than these other 20 guys, and you truly are the game changer? Or are you one of them that thinks you're going to be a game changer? And so I would say to that that person, go out and prove your model. That's the first thing you need to do. And in fact, when we had our problems with our, our mobile browser, I wouldn't even go raise money. We're ready to go raise money on crowdfunding. And I, I, I'm all ready to go. And I'm like, nope, can't go until I've proved this last piece of my model out. I'm not taking anybody's money. I put in all my own money. I mean, I'm a weird dude because I had the, the money. My wife wants to kill me. But I had the ability to put in my own money and not ask people for a bunch of money. Uh, and, and I probably have made some huge mistakes there, but it may turn out all to be great because I want to prove my own models out before I take anybody's money.
1: Well, Jeff, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Cocoon My Data
0: Rewards. No, it's been total pleasure. And once again, in, in some ways, more eye-opening to me.